Section 16 of Sketches of the Fair Sex in All Parts of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sketches of the Fair Sex in All Parts of the World by Anonymous. Custom in the Mogul Empire In a variety of parts of the Mogul Empire, when the women are carried abroad, they are put into a kind of machine like a chariot, and placed on the backs of camels, or in covered sedan chairs, and surrounded by a guard of eunuchs and armed men, in such a manner that a stranger would rather suppose the cavalcade to be carrying some desperate villain to execution, than employed to prevent the intrigues or escape of a defenceless woman. At home the sex are covered with gauze veils, which they dare not take off in the presence of any man, except their husband or some near relation. Over the greatest part of Asia and some parts of Africa, women are guarded by eunuchs, made incapable of violating their chastity. In Spain, where the natives are the descendants of the Africans, and whose jealousy is not less strong than that of their ancestors, they, for many centuries, made use of padlocks to secure the chastity of their women. But finding these ineffectual, they frequently had recourse to old women, called gouvernantes. It had been discovered that men deprived of their virility did not guard female virtue so strictly as to be incapable of being bribed to allow another a taste of those pleasures they themselves were incapable of enjoying. The Spaniards, sensible of this, imagined that vindictive old women were more likely to be incorruptible, as envy would stimulate them to prevent the young from enjoying those pleasures which they themselves had no longer any chance for. But all-powerful gold soon overcame even this obstacle, and the Spaniards at present seemed to give up all restrictive methods, and to trust the virtue of their women to good principles instead of rigor and hard usage. Custom of the Muscovites if the laws forbidding the marriage of near relations with each other originated from the political view of preserving the human race from degeneracy, they are the only laws we meet with on that subject, and exert almost the only care we find taken of so important a matter. The Asiatic is careful to improve the breed of his elephants, the Arabian of his horses, and the Laplander of his reindeer. The Englishman, eager to have swift horses, staunch dogs, and victorious cocks, grudges no care and spares no expense to have the males and females matched properly. But since the days of Salone, where is the legislator, or since the days of the ancient Greeks, where are the private persons who take any care to improve, or even to keep from degeneracy, the breed of their own species? The Englishman who solicitously attends the training of his colts and puppies would be ashamed to be caught in the nursery, and while no motive could prevail upon him to breed horses or hounds from an improper or contaminated kind, he will calmly, or rather inconsiderately, match himself with the most decrepit or diseased of the human species. Thoughtless of the weaknesses and evils he is going to entail on posterity, and considering nothing but the acquisition of fortune he is by her alliance to convey to an offspring, by diseases rendered unable to use it. The Muscovites were formerly the only people, besides the Greeks, 
who paid a proper attention to this subject. After the preliminaries of a marriage were settled between the parents of a young couple, the bride was stripped naked and carefully examined by a jury of matrons, when if they found any bodily defect, they endeavored to cure it. But if it would admit of no remedy, the match was broke off, and she was considered not only as a very improper subject to breed from, but improper also for maintaining the affections of a husband after he had discovered the imposition she had put upon him. Sale of Children to Purchase Wives In Timor, an island in the Indian Ocean, it is said that parents sell their children in order to purchase more wives. In Circassia, women are reared and improved in beauty and every alluring art only for the purpose of being sold. The prince of the Circassians demanded of the prince of Mingrelia an hundred slaves loaded with tapestry, an hundred cows, as many oxen, and the same number of horses, as the price of his sister. In New Zealand we meet with a custom which may be called purchasing a wife for a night, and which is proof that those must also be purchased who are intended for a longer duration. And what to us is a little surprising, this temporary wife, insisted upon being treated with as much deference and respect as if she had been married for life. But in general, this is not the case in other countries, for the wife who is purchased is always trained up in the principles of slavery, and, being inured to every indignity and mortification from her parents, she expects no better treatment from her husband. There is little difference in the condition of her who is put to sale by her sordid parents and her who is disposed of in the same manner by the magistrates as a part of the state's property. Besides those we have already mentioned in this work, the Thracians put the fairest of their virgins up to public sale, and the magistrates of Crete had the sole power of choosing partners in marriage for their young men. And in the execution of this power, the affection and interest of the parties was totally overlooked, and the good of the state the only object of attention, in pursuing which they always allotted the strongest and best made of the sex to one another, that they might raise up a generation of warriors, or of women fit to be mothers of warriors. Polygamy and Concubinage Polygamy and concubinage, having in process of time become fashionable vices, the number of women kept by the great became at last more an article of grandeur and state than a mode of satisfying the animal appetite. Solomon had threescore queens and fourscore concubines and virgins without number. Maimon tells us that among the Jews a man might have as many wives as he pleased, even to the number of a hundred, and that it was not in their power to prevent him, provided he could maintain and pay them all the conjugal debt once a week. But in this duty, he was not to run in arrear to any of them above a month, though with regard to concubines he might do as he pleased. It would be an endless task to enumerate all the nations which practiced polygamy. We shall, therefore, only mention a few where the practice seemed to vary something from the common method. The ancient Sabaeans were not only said to have had a plurality, but even a community of wives a thing strongly inconsistent with that spirit of jealousy which prevails among men in most countries where polygamy is allowed. The ancient Germans were so strict monogamists, footnote, 
Monogamy is having only one wife. End footnote. That they reckoned it a species of polygamy for a woman to marry a second husband, even after the death of the first. Quote, a woman, they say, has but one life, and but one body, therefore should have but one husband. End quote. And besides, they added, quote, that she who knows she is never to have a second husband will the more value and endeavor to promote the happiness and preserve the life of the first. End quote. Among the Heruli, this idea was carried farther. A woman was obliged to strangle herself at the death of her husband, lest she should afterwards marry another. So detestable was polygamy in the north, while in the east it was one of those rites which they most of all others esteem and maintain with such inflexible firmness that it will probably be one of the last of those that it will wrest out of their hands the egyptians it is probable did not allow of polygamy and as the greeks borrowed their institutions from them it was also forbid by the laws of cecrops though concubinage seems either to have been allowed or overlooked for in the odyssey of homer we find Ulysses declaring himself to be the son of a concubine, which he would probably not have done, had any degree of infamy been annexed to it. In some cases, however, polygamy was allowed in Greece from a mistaken notion that it would increase population. The Athenians, once thinking the number of their citizens diminished, decreed that it should be lawful for a man to have children by another woman as well as by his wife. Besides this, particular instances occur of some who have transgressed the law of monogamy. Euripides is said to have had two wives, who, by their constant disagreement, gave him a dislike to the whole sex, a supposition which receives some weight from these lines of his in Andromache. Ne'er will I commend more beds, more wives than one, nor children cursed with double mothers, banes and plagues of life. Socrates, too, had two wives, but the poor culprit had as much reason to repent of his temerity as Euripides. Eunuchs As the appetite towards the other sex is one of the strongest and most ungovernable in our nature, as it intrudes itself more than any other into our thoughts, and frequently diverts them from every other purpose or employment, it may at first, on this account, have been reckoned criminal when it interfered with worship and devotion, and emasculation was made use of in order to get rid of it, which may perhaps have been the origin of eunuchs. But however this be, it is certain that there were men of various religions who made themselves incapable of procreation on a religious account, as we are told that the priests of Cybele constantly castrated themselves, and by our Saviour, that there are eunuchs who make themselves such for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Girls sold at auction. The ancient Assyrians seem more thoroughly to have settled and digested the affairs of marriage than any of their contemporaries. Once in every year they assembled together all the girls that were marriageable when the public crier put them up to sale one after another. For her whose figure was agreeable and whose beauty was attracting, the rich strove against each other, who should give the highest price, which price was put into a public stock, and distributed in portions to those whom nobody would accept without a reward. After the most beautiful were disposed of, these were also put up by the crier, 
and a certain sum of money offered with each, proportioned to what it was thought she stood in need of to bribe a husband to accept her. When a man offered to accept of any of them, on the terms upon which she was exposed to sale, the crier proclaimed that such a man had proposed to take such a woman, with such a sum of money along with her, provided none could be found who would take her with less. And in this manner the sale went on, till she was at last allotted to him who offered to take her with the smallest portion. When this public sale was over, the purchasers of those that were beautiful were not allowed to take them away, till they had paid down the price agreed on, and given sufficient security that they would marry them. Nor, on the other hand, would those who were to have a premium for accepting of such as were less beautiful, take a delivery of them, till their portions were previously paid. SALE OF A WIFE In England, the sale of a wife sometimes occurs, even at the present day, of which the following is an example from the Lancaster Herald. Sale of a wife at Carlisle. The inhabitants of this city lately witnessed the sale of a wife by her husband, Joseph Thompson, who resides in a small village about three miles distant, and rents a farm of about forty-two or forty-four acres. She was a spruce, lively, buxom damsel, apparently not exceeding twenty-two years of age, and appeared to feel a pleasure at the exchange she was about to make. They had no children during their union and that, with some family disputes, caused them by mutual agreement to come to the resolution of finally parting. Accordingly, the bellman was sent round to give public notice of the sale, which was to take place at twelve o'clock, and this announcement attracted the notice of thousands. She appeared above the crowd, standing on a large oak chair, surrounded by many of her friends, with a rope or halter made of straw round her neck, being dressed in rather a fashionable country style, and appearing to some advantage. The husband, who was also standing in an elevated position near her, proceeded to put her up for sale, and spoke nearly as follows. Gentlemen, I have to offer to your notice my wife, Marianne Thompson, otherwise Williamson, whom I mean to sell to the highest and fairest bidder. It is her wish as well as mine to part forever." I took her for my comfort, and the good of my house, but she has become my tormentor, and a domestic curse, etc., etc. Now I have shown you her faults and failings, I will explain her qualifications and goodness. She can read fashionable novels, and milk cows. She can laugh and weep with the same ease that you can take a glass of ale. She can make butter, and scold the maid. She can sing Moore's melodies and plate her frills and caps. She cannot make rum, gin, or whiskey, but she is a good judge of their quality from long experience in tasting them. I therefore offer her, with all her perfections and imperfections, for the sum of fifty shillings. After an hour or two, she was purchased by Henry Mears, a pensioner, for the sum of twenty shillings and a Newfoundland dog. The happy pair immediately left town together, amidst the shouts and huzzas of the multitude, in which they were joined by Thompson, who, with the greatest good humor imaginable, proceeded to put the halter, which his wife had taken off, round the neck of his Newfoundland dog, and then proceeded to the first public house, where he spent the remainder of the day. End of section 19. Recording by Tricia G.